from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening. Welcome to this edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior advisor to the president here at Family Research Council. And extremely honored and privileged to be sitting in for Tony this week. Listen, we've got a hot program lined up for you this evening, so buckle up. We've got some breaking news that we're going to bring your way, keeping you informed as the absolute latest as to what's happening in our country. So stay tuned. Let me give you the highlights of what we're going to be discussing. First of all, as we continue the fight to protect the unborn, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled last night to roll back many of the illegal actions that the FBI that the FDA took to ease access to some of these chemical abortion drugs. What the Fifth Circuit did here is really recognize uh, that the FDA's uh, actions have been unlawful uh, from the very beginning. Um, and it also implemented a, a number of requirements to put them back in place uh, to protect women and girls. That was Aaron Hawley from the Alliance Defending Freedom earlier this morning during a virtual press conference. And while this is a very strong victory, the three-judge panel did allow the abortion drug Mifepristone to remain on the market while ongoing lawsuits proceed. But Lathan Watts with the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is, of course, the organization that brought the lawsuit against the FDA, he'll be joining me with his reaction to the court's decision from last night. And then this breaking news. The department is taking the issue of this unauthorized disclosure very seriously. We continue to work around the clock along with the interagency and the intelligence community to better understand the scope, scale and impact of these leaks. All right, that story unfolding even while we speak. That was Pentagon Press Secretary Brigadier General Pat Ryder speaking to the press earlier today after federal investigators arrested a 21-year-old National Guardsman who was accused of massive, massive leaks of classified military documents. We'll be joined a little bit later with retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin to discuss that issue. And then yesterday, as you will recall, I discussed the unbelievable FBI surveillance of Christian churches. Well, it's fitting what appears to be a growing pattern of this agency where they have been weaponized against political opponents. Well, here's the big question. Can the FBI be saved? It's gone rogue. I'll be discussing this with Kyle Serafin. He's a former FBI agent and the initial whistleblower who exposed so much of the malfeasance that currently is taking place. And then we've got more breaking news coming from the Show Me State. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey announced this afternoon that he has issued an emergency regulation to end the transgender procedures for minors in his state. This is the first in the nation of this type. And it all started with an investigation into a rogue clinic at the uh, Washington University in in St. Louis. And literally, there are shocking treatments of children that were taking place there. Well, the Attorney General Bailey himself will be providing an update a little bit later in the program. So we've got a lot of hot topics to discuss. You don't want to miss a bit of it, but if by chance you do... You can always catch it later at TonyPerkins.com. You'll also find there at the website all sorts of action items for you as well. So keep that website close at hand. All right, let's jump into our first topic. Uh, The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled yesterday to uphold some key elements of a federal district court's order requiring the FDA to restore clinical safeguards for chemical abortion drugs. Most notably, abortion providers are no longer allowed to send chemical abortion drugs through the mail. That's huge. Also, the gestational age of a baby for which a mother can take the chemical drugs has been reduced from 10 weeks down to 7. Joining me now to discuss this is Lathan Watts. He's the Vice President of Public Affairs with ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom which is the organization that brought the initial lawsuit against the FDA. Lathan, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, let's uh, let's just begin with your overall reaction to the court's ruling last night. 
Well, it's it's really a win for health and safety uh, for women and girls in this country. As you mentioned, uh, the Fifth Circuit upheld Judge Kaczmarek's order uh, in part, uh, the part of it that restored those safeguards. And that is uh, very important because uh, the FDA had, had removed those in order to basically create a nationwide mail-order abortion market. And those safeguards... Um, they're crucial uh, to protect the health and the safety of the women and the girls who would be taking these pills. So it is a victory. Uh, it is a step in the right direction. And we're grateful for that um, for that win. Well, it really is a great step in the right direction. And, you know, I think it's fair to say, or maybe I should ask, is it fair to say that, uh, you know, there's probably some saying that this decision didn't go far enough. Uh, but it is an enormous step in the right direction. But is, is it fair to say that the FDA's actions that have been uh, going on for some 20 years covering up were illegal and unlawful throughout this whole process? Yes. I mean, our clients, the doctors that we represent, uh, filed a citizen petition against uh, approval of this drug all the way back in 2000. And really, our clients are the only parties to this litigation who have followed both the science and the law from day one. Uh, the FDA declared pregnancy an illness in order to approve mifepristone in the first place, um, and then stonewalled our clients for 14 years um, when, by law, they were required to respond to our client's petition after uh, within 180 days. And then after 14 years, on the same day uh, they finally responded, that's when they lifted all of these uh, safety measures that had been put in place originally. And so this litigation is certainly about bringing health and safety back to um, the women and the girls who would be prescribed this drug. But it's also about bringing accountability uh, to the FDA. Uh, these unelected bureaucrats have now acted with impunity through five different presidents. Um, and it is high time that some accountability be brought to that agency. And we're uh, grateful that the Fifth Circuit um, has taken a big step in the right direction. Yeah, it's just absolutely unbelievable to me that it's uh, taken this long. I mean, for to have a federal agency deliberately uh, hide and cover up and refuse to uh, to comply with the law is phenomenal to me. Uh, yesterday, the Biden administration's task force on reproductive health uh, access had another meeting. I believe it was their third meeting, and Vice President Kamala Harris was there. I want to play a clip of what she said and get your reaction to this. We have, in effect, a situation where politicians and politics have driven lawyers to go to a court of law where a judge, who is not a medical professional, is making a decision to undo the ruling 20, over 20 years ago, of the FDA. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, let's start. I, I think it's fair to say she's probably not a healthcare professional herself. But the, the problem was 20 years ago, what they did was illegal. I mean, this is stunning. Let me, let, what your reaction to this? Yeah, exactly. And you don't have to be a medical professional. Anyone who has sat through a high school biology class knows that pregnancy is not an illness. It is a natural condition of humanity. And so, yes, it has been 20 years. It would not have taken 20 years had the FDA complied with its own rules. But because they didn't, it has taken us this long to get the case to court and finally bring some accountability to the FDA. Yeah, and and she also uh, certainly, and th this implication is not just coming from her, but but the argument is that the decision by the Fifth Circuit was all politically driven. It's just the opposite. It seems to me, to even twenty years ago, the reason they ignored the law, the FDA, was for political reasons. They tried to push this thing because that was that was the agenda of the left to make abortions more accessible. Um, so the the whole argument that this decision was politically driven is absolutely upside down, isn't it? Yes. I mean, this decision in our litigation from, from day one has been about uh, maintaining the rule of law, holding the FDA accountable for its own actions when it violates its own rules. Um, the FDA, you know, all the way back in 2000, as we've said, abandoned 
its mission to protect the health and safety of consumers in favor of advancing a political agenda to create a mail-order abortion regime in this country. And had they complied with their own rules, this litigation would have been brought much sooner, and this could have been resolved um, years ago, but they didn't. Um, And so that's why we're here today. Well, I think that's a great point. I mean, obviously, one of the big reasons the FDA exists is for safety, and they did not even do the research on the safetiness of this drug, at least not in any kind of thorough fashion. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, and our, our clients, the doctors, have to deal with the women who then suffer complications of this drug. Um, they're the ones who have been bringing the actual evidence, the actual following the actual science of of what of, of the complications that can that can happen. When people take this, when women take this drug and by removing the safety precautions, by by reducing the doctor visits from three to one, removing the in-person requirement, uh, allowing it to be done over the phone or online, you cannot screen for an ectopic pregnancy over the phone. You cannot check to see if the gestational age is seven weeks, which is the the condition that this uh, drug is supposed to be prescribed for. And if it's taken beyond that, the risks to the to the woman taking it go up exponentially. Um, and it should not be. It's illegal. And it, it was always illegal to, to ship this drug through the mail. Well, and so thankfully, the Fifth Circuit upheld Judge Casimir's order on that. Yeah, those are some great points there. What about this issue regarding the statute of limitations for the FDA's approval of these drugs? Uh, uh, evidently, it ended six months ago. I, explain that. Well, that's um, really the the one part of Judge Kazmarek's order that the Fifth Circuit didn't uphold. Um, so the FDA, uh, the Biden administration has already said they're going to appeal the Fifth Circuit's um, decision to the Supreme Court. Uh, we'll have to see if, if that um, is part of uh, any ruling that comes from the Supreme Court or not. And then we'll uh, determine the best course of action after that. Well, another part of this, and I know our time's about to run out on us here. We've got about a minute or so, but some members of Congress have actually been calling for the FDA to ignore this whole ruling altogether, which just sets an incredibly dangerous precedent for uh, one branch of government to ignore another branch of government simply for political reasons or uh, for whatever. How dangerous is that thought process? Well, anything that undermines the rule of law in this country is a danger to freedom in this country uh, because freedom is predicated upon the rule of law. And it's particularly egregious when those in government are the ones advocating for ignoring the rule of law. Um, It sets up a a very dangerous dynamic in our country. Um, It sets up a it, it widens the divide between the governing and the governed when you know, the everyday citizen doesn't get to pick and choose which laws they're going to follow and which ones they're, they're going to ignore. And no one in government should be able to do the same, um, which is basically what the FDA has done for 20 years now, which is why this litigation is so necessary. Lathan Watts with ADF, thank you so much for the incredible work y'all have done. And thank you for joining us on Washington Watch this evening. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, friends, coming up, breaking news. An investigation is underway on a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman believed to have leaked a trove of classified U.S. intelligence documents. Stay tuned. Jerry Boykin will join me right after this. Everything we do begins as an idea. 
Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. Before there was a holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior, and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us or for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We want to help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release, and the forest and the trees. All right, friends, welcome back to Washington Watch. Again, I'm your host, Jody Heiss. We're honored to have you joining us this evening. All right, some developing news even as we speak. This afternoon, some federal investigators arrested a 21-year-old Massachusetts Air National Guardsman that they believe leaked a trove of classified U.S. intelligence documents, which both exposed weaknesses in the Ukrainian military and, no doubt, it's affected U.S. relations with many of our foreign allies. The Guardsman is identified as Jack Teixeira, He's been connected to an online group where the leaked documents first appeared. And joining me now to discuss this is FRC's executive vice president, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who had an amazing 36-year military career, the last four of which was as the deputy undersecretary for defense for intelligence. And, of course, he was an original member of the Delta Force as well. General, I know you've been on the road. Thank you for making time to uh, uh, join us this evening and to talk about this breaking news. It's always good to be with you, Jody. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, let's uh, uh, what do we know so far? I mean, all this is coming at us pretty quickly right now. Uh, what do you know so far? Well, I don't think we know everything yet. Uh, uh, what we do know is just what you said, that he's out of an Air National Guard unit which is actually an intel unit. So the question then becomes, who gave this man a clearance that he would have access to all of this kind of material? And I will tell you, in terms of counterintelligence, which is how we stop uh, people from doing just this kind of thing, uh, has failed miserably here, uh, not only because they gave this young man who is very low-ranking uh, they gave him a clearance that gave him access to all of this stuff. And somebody has to explain why this man had a clearance to begin with. That's a great point. So are, are you saying then that it, that it would not be normal protocol for a state National Guardsman to have this type of classified material to begin with? It is not the norm, no. And, and if they gave him one, it had to be for a specific purpose, you know, and, and you know very well in the intel community. And I, I spent uh, a couple of years over at the CIA as well. So I've been around this stuff a long time. And uh, you work on a need to know basis. In other words, you don't have access to any intelligence unless you have a need to know. And part of the problem here is uh, one of the things that the intel community takes very seriously is exposing methods and sources. 
And it, it looks like now that as a result of this, we've exposed both some sources just by virtue of what the intel is, it's clear who it came from, and then methods. How do how was it collected? And we don't want the enemy to know how we collect our intelligence. And so you've got a bigger problem than just uh, people reading and, and knowing some of our secrets, but you've also got a, a, a really serious problem with exposing some of the people that we got this intel from or some of the methods that we used. This is my understanding so far, General. This is like one of the largest uh, leaks of classified uh, intelligent information military in our military history. And you wonder how in the world does this young man have access to this type of thing? Uh, and so it's uh, frightening to think that this whole thing could develop. Is Does more of this type of leaking of information take place in what we're aware of, or is it becoming more and more of a problem these days? What in the world is going on at the Pentagon that is seemingly uh, so susceptible and vulnerable to this type of thing taking place? Yeah, and after 9-11, we put together the uh, 9-11 Commission and studied that, and one of the conclusions was that uh, too much of the intel was not shared. It was not shared with the other agencies and uh, the people that really did have a need to know. So a law was written called the Intelligence Reform and Terrorism Prevention Act. And what that did was it forced the sharing of information, which meant that uh, you could go to a common server, for example, and see what's uh, what the Coast Guard has for intelligence or the Army or or the uh, CIA, for that matter, although they came kicking and screaming on it. And I I understand why. It's because of this kind of thing. But it is much easier now to access a broader category of intelligence than what impacts you in the job that you're doing. So I think we went too far in that. And I think now you're going to see uh, you're going to see the uh, probably the Congress, Jody. Uh, is going to, uh, I think, roll some of that back. Well, something needs to happen. I mean, this the impact of this uh, for our allies and so forth has got to be significant. Um, you know that. Well, have you have you been able to review any of the leaked documents? Do you know uh, kind of specifically what type of classified material we're talking about? Uh, I haven't read them. Uh, I have had some conversations and. Uh, I think the most damaging thing is probably what we have gotten from uh, allies. Uh, yeah. and, and that's so obvious that uh, it kills any trust factor that they have with us. And I've seen that happen before. And all of a sudden you find that they're not sharing intelligence with you. Uh, but I I haven't personally read the stuff. But when you start talking uh, about the Ukraine and, and all that we've done to help the Ukraine, and uh, then you start talking about them, their shortages, their weaknesses, uh, their strategies, and that type of thing. You you are just giving up an ally there, and needlessly. Yeah, that's the that's the the point. I was that, that concerns me that I was getting to. It seems to me there is no way that something like this could happen without having enormously negative impact on our allies as well as just the information itself. So we've got about 30 seconds. Um, Where do we go from here? I think they've got to go back and look at the uh, intel reform uh, legislation. And we've got to uh, tighten up our counterintelligence capabilities and pay more attention to what we're doing. And I think that's one of the problems. They didn't pay attention to what they were doing when they gave this guy clearance. General Boykin, you're a hero. Thank you so much for taking time to join us this evening on Washington Watch and bring us up to speed on this issue. Thank you, Jody. All right, friends, coming up, I'll be joined by a former FBI agent and the initial whistleblower who brought forth so many of the revelations that we are now discovering about the FBI in regards to how that agency has become politicized. I assure you, you don't want to miss what's coming ahead. We'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned.
All of us are born with the desire to find truth and meaning. Where did I come from? What happens when I die? While our answers to these questions may divide us, we are united in our need for the freedom to answer life's biggest questions and make life's biggest decisions for ourselves. That's why religious freedom matters for everyone. Religious freedom matters because the powerful have long wanted to control those who are less powerful. Religious freedom matters because the freedom of those who are different is often threatened by those who believe different is dangerous. Leah Sherabu, a Christian teenager in Nigeria, remains a captive of Boko Haram for her refusal to renounce her Christian faith. Chinese pastor Wang Yi is serving a nine-year sentence for speaking publicly against the Chinese government. All of this because people in power decided different is dangerous. At the Center for Religious Liberty at Family Research Council, we promote religious freedom for everyone because the only alternative is religious freedom for no one. We encourage Americans and the American government to engage and advocate for the persecuted, and they do. We work every day to bring good news to the afflicted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. We do it because that's what Jesus does. We work to give freedom to others because we ourselves have been set free. Welcome back to Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you. I'm Jody Heiss, your host. We are honored to have you on this Thursday edition of the program. All right, throughout this week, among other things, we've been talking about a development of a two-tiered system of justice that's taking place in our country. And many of us, in fact, I'm sure many of you viewing and listening right now, you've sensed this taking place for quite a while. But more recently, concrete proof has emerged to verify our suspicions. Most recently this week, the House Judiciary Committee released documents confirming that the FBI targeted churches with confidential sources and at least one undercover agent. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Kyle Serafin. He's a former FBI agent, and he's the initial whistleblower who brought so many of these revelations to light about a politicized FBI. So, Kyle, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Okay, so let's begin. Let's maybe just step back a little bit. Earlier this year, an FBI memo was exposed that detailed attempts to infiltrate Catholic churches in Virginia. Uh, We all know about that by this time. And the FBI immediately tried to distance themselves from the memo. In fact, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland testified before the Senate that the FBI doesn't target Christians, that they don't target churches. But now we have new documents this week that reveal that, in fact, a memo uh, that reveals that uh, the FBI did, in fact, have an effort to infiltrate churches. Is that your understanding as to what happened? Yeah, it sure is. Uh, unfortunately, I, I did another review of the initial documents that we had, which were an intelligence domain product. It was an awareness product saying that there was a potential susceptibility of uh, Catholics at the traditional Latin mass to be recruited by white supremacists, which is a sort of absurd statement for anybody who knows anything about Latin mass Catholics. But, um, you know, when we did another review of this and I looked at it with another intelligence professional who had two and a half decades of experience, the uh, the reread kind of indicated that not only was the the document generated by an undercover employee of the FBI, not just a source, but an employee, like a W-2 paid government employee, but it was also likely the actual author of the uh, intelligence product, the intelligence analyst, who I guess decided to go kind of Jack Ryan on this thing and uh, went out to go find that out. And that lined up with the information that we had about who this person was, because he's a young uh, intelligence analyst who graduated from Georgetown University a Catholic university. So some of the inside baseball about Catholicism and sort of the church politics, if you will, um, it didn't really line up with source information unless somebody was really, really up on this kind of stuff. So it, it is my belief that not only what Jordan said, they, they were a little bit 
shaky on the on the intel whether there was a approved operation or an actually executed operation and i believe it was actually executed wow all right so let's get in uh, the the exact terminology of the informant the fbi uh informant was a uh, uh, type 5 uh what, what what's it called type 5 analysis or assessment what, assessment type 5 assessment all right explain yes, that to us in in layman's terms so we can understand what this FBI agent was actually there to do. So there's three types of investigative activities that the Bureau engages in. Type one, uh, the first one is an assessment. That's the lowest level. The second is a preliminary investigation. And the third is a full investigation. And those are the kind of terms as they're laid out in the Attorney General guidelines known as the DIOG. Uh, the assessment is the lowest level. But the Type 5 is particularly concerning because the purpose of a Type 5 assessment is to generate a pool of what they call PCHSs, which is a potential confidential human source. And it looks just like any other matrix of, uh, you know, potential hiring or anything else. They lay out who they could recruit, and then they they rank them based on their access, based on their uh, their placement. So how much information they would have access to, the placement, how frequently they have access to this information. And then they sort of decide whether or not they're recruitable or not. And then they go and they target these people. So, um, you know, in a criminal organization, you may go find a secretary who works in a money laundering operation because she may have access and placement and be susceptible to recruitment. Or you find someone who recently went to jail for that. In a church, I don't know who you go and target. Uh, maybe you go get the Eucharistic ministers. Maybe you go and talk to the secretary, to the uh, the, the pastor. Uh, but this is, you know, kind of uncharted territory in a lot of ways. Okay, so th- this this agent was there, type five assessment, specifically looking for people he could recruit to get information on other parishioners in the church or whatever. Uh, all right, so I, I want to know, Kyle, who who authorizes something like this, a Type 5 assessment? Is this just something that anyone in the agency can say, hey, let's do this, or who who actually is – in other words, did, did, did the headquarters in D.C., anyone in D.C., know about this? Not necessarily. Um, the way these types of operations would work is that you would have somebody propose it, and then it would be approved by a supervisor, a GS-14 level supervisor, which is going to be either a supervisory intelligence analyst or a supervisory uh, and special agent. These are the two types of people that would be able to authorize. And then it would have to be reviewed. This would fall under what's called a sensitive investigative matter or a SIM. And there's all kinds of people that are SIMs. They're journalists. They're people who are in politics. There are people who are in religious figures or academics. So you'd have to go through an additional scrutiny and review if you were trying to recruit somebody in this, this area. And that would be reviewed by what's called the chief division council. That's the top attorney at every given field office. So of the 56 field offices, there is one attorney where the buck stops and they give the kind of the green light or the red light on whether or not you can do any particular operation. And that includes opening cases and that includes recording, you know, recruiting sensitive sources and so on. Well, thank you, Kyle. Listen, unfortunately, our time is wrapped up. I, I would love to be able to have further discussion with you uh, somewhere in the future. Just seems to me very difficult to believe something so egregious as targeting churches, violation of so many rules and laws, deeply concerning. But thank you for coming on. I look forward to talking with you in the future. It was my pleasure. All right, folks, stay tuned. Coming up on Washington Watch right after the break, we have some breaking news coming out of the state of Missouri. And the attorney general of that state, Andrew Bailey, will be joining me to discuss it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. It begins here and here and here every day. Before you stand, you need solid ground. Standing in a culture that wants you to surrender the truth won't work unless you have a firm foundation. At Family Research Council, we have that firm foundation, and you can find us standing. We stand for the value of all human life. We stand for the right of families to flourish. And every day, we stand for your freedom to believe and to live out those beliefs both at home and abroad. We work with government officials, educating them on the issues from a biblical worldview. And when necessary, we hold them accountable. We equip Christians across America to be informed and to take action in their communities. 
With our daily radio program, television appearances, and vast online presence, we reach people where they are. We envision an America where all human life is valued, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives. And that won't be realized if we're not standing. Stand for faith. Stand for family. Stand for freedom. Stand with us at FRC. I'm often asked by people, Tony, how do you stay encouraged? How do you deal with all of the stuff in Washington, D.C., the negative policies that are attacking our faith, our family, and our freedoms? Well, you want me to let you in on the secret? It's called the Word of God. And that is why the Family Research Council embarked on Stand on the Word, a two-year journey through the Bible. It's a chronological Bible reading plan with just 10 to 15 minutes a day. In two years, you will have covered the entire Bible. And to go along with this, Monday through Friday, I do a morning devotional that goes along with the reading of the day. It's all designed to encourage you on this journey because the Word of God, as the psalmist said, in my affliction, here's my comfort. Your word gives me life. That is our source of strength. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com or FRC.org slash Bible. And I invite you to join me every morning for our Stand on the Word Bible devotion. This fall, believers from across America will gather in our nation's capital. We'll hear from government leaders, policy experts, and leading Christian voices, learning how we can engage in government at every level. From local school boards to state legislatures to Congress and even the White House to win back the soul of our nation. Join with us for the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Believe and Engage, September 15th through 17th. Register now at PrayVoteStand.org. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Glad to have you on board with us this evening. All right, we've got some breaking news today that I'm pleased to bring your way here on Washington Watch. Missouri Attorney General Andrew Bailey issued emergency regulations this afternoon that, in effect, will end transgender intervention procedures for minors. This is the first action of this kind in the nation. Now, we certainly hope it's not going to be the last, but this is the first, and we are honored, you know, especially when you consider the dangerous uh, uh, nature of these surgeries and the the experimental nature of it all. Uh, This is big, big news. Joining me now to explain why this action was necessary and more is Missouri's Attorney General himself, Andrew Bailey. Mr. Attorney General, welcome back to Washington Watch. Glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, listen, let me begin just by commending you for your courage and your leadership on this issue. This is a a huge step today, and I know you're covered up, but thank you for taking time to be on the program with us to discuss it. Well, thank you for having me on. This is all about protecting children for me, and as a foster parent, an adoptive parent, a father of four, I'll, there's no end to the amount of energy I'll put towards protecting children in the state of Missouri. Well, we all appreciate it so much. I, I know probably, what, a month or so ago, you were actually on the on this program with Tony, Uh, And at that time, you had issued a temporary emergency stay against these procedures for minors. Uh, So what has led you to go from the temporary uh, stay to now making this permanent? Well, several months ago, a whistleblower came forward that worked at a pediatric transgender clinic in St. Louis and notified my office of what, if true, amounts to nothing short of child abuse. And so that whistleblower, we have to take her seriously. She's a progressive who self-identifies as a someone who supports transgender rights. And the things she says she saw going on at the, the pediatric transgender clinic in St. Louis scared her and concerned her enough that she came forward and was willing to swear under oath to the veracity of, of, of her, her allegations. And so we called for a moratorium on administration of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and referral of minors for irreversible surgeries to put a stop to it, to give us time to look into what was happening. And we launched a multi-agency investigation, the first of its kind in the nation. Uh, The clinic refused the moratorium and fought back, claiming that they were the only clinic in the state of Missouri providing this kind of care. Well, we know it's not care. We know it's woke left-wing ideology, science projects, experimentation on children masquerading as medicine. 
And subsequent investigation revealed that there's a clandestine and shadowy network of these transgender children's clinics operating across the state of Missouri. And so we had to push back. We had to put safety guards in place. And that's what this emergency rule does. It holds providers accountable and ensures that parents understand that these drugs are experimental in nature and have serious long-term health consequences for these poor children. Wow. Well, that's that's powerful. And and the the, uh, nail that you hit on the head that I think so many people feel but you just said it outright, was the procedures taking place really amounts to child abuse, what's going on here. So you've had an investigation underway now for uh, X number of months on the uh, Washington University Transgender Center uh, there in St. Louis. Can you tell us some of the specifics of uh, types of uh, egregious behavior and abuse, as you call it, that you were able to uncover? Well, so far, what we know, and additional whistleblowers are coming forward uh, even as we speak, but what we know thus far is the allegations include that uh, the clinic does not track adverse consequences of the administration of these drugs or the surgeries. So they provide these science experimentation on children, and they don't bother to figure out what happens on the back end if it's helping or harming the kids. And that's at the basis of this emergency rule. It's based on science. We have six pages of footnotes of documentation, medical journals, and science that back up what several of these European countries said years ago, which is that this kind of treatment is not evidence-based and is dangerous. We also have allegations that parents were forced into consenting to their children's treatment. There would be instances where the kid with the mental health condition would be standing there without any kind of psych assessment and with a refusal to provide any kind of psych assessment on behalf of the clinic. And a clinician in front of the child would say to the parent, do you want a dead daughter or a live son? And thus cajole the parent into consenting to these dangerous treatments. So let's uh, repeat that. You said these these individuals who were performing these uh, procedures on minors would literally say to the parents, do you want a dead daughter or a live son or vice versa? That is exactly the allegation. Uh, Implying that that if you don't do this, if you don't allow this, your child is going to commit suicide. Is that what they were I'm assuming that's what they were getting to. Absolutely. And that's what's so scary. I mean, look, these kids come in confused about their body. They, the 75% of the kids, according to the affidavits, say that they learned about their gender on TikTok. I mean, think about that for a minute. This is scary stuff. And rather than providing psychology and psychiatry and then tracking the positive outcomes from just talking to the kids, we race to the administration of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones that cause blindness, brain swelling, loss of bone density and ultimately referring surgery and injecting suicidal ideation into a conversation where it didn't exist before that. They're not treating mental health. They're making it worse. Wow. Yeah, this is, this is just unbelievable information here uh, that we've all, uh, many of us have been studying, we've been reading, we know this kind of stuff. And you referenced it, in fact, just a few moments ago. We have so many European countries, uh, Finland, Sweden, uh, UK, and other places that are reversing course on these type of procedures. And yet here in the United States, it seems like we continue pushing forward with this in spite of not only other countries, but as you're bringing up, the science clearly is is telling us this is a bad pathway to go. Uh, so why is our country so far behind on the science when it comes to this topic? Well, radical left-wing individuals would rather push a progressive woke ideology and do so at the expense and to the harm and detriment of children. I mean, that's why they don't want to track the adverse health consequences from administration of these drugs and for the surgeries. And that's why the media never reports on the six pages of footnotes provided in our emergency rule that demonstrate that scientifically and medically, these are dangerous courses, dangerous courses of behavior that, that have long-term permanent you know, disability, uh, debilitating consequences. Well, it's like there's, there's no question in when you're in a battle like this, that you being on the tip of the spear and the first to end this type of procedures on a national basis, uh, you are going to and you probably already are taking a significant number of hits from the left. In fact, I believe I read somewhere today that Planned Parenthood has already filed a lawsuit against your office. Uh, and uh, no doubt there's going to be further litigation. Uh, how are you holding up on this? How do you feel? Uh, in the midst of the battle? 
hey, I'm a warrior. I served in the United States Army, took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, uh, signed up for a combat arms branch of service, volunteered to go to Iraq, uh, participated in the largest offensive operation of 2005. So I've seen my worst days on this earth, and I'll tell you, I I I can take it. Uh, We will continue to fight the good fight. I was willing to put my life on the line to protect and defend the Constitution and the rule of law. I took that fight to the battlefield in the war on terror, and I'm proud to be leading that fight now in the courtroom here in the state of Missouri and across the country. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Are you calling on other attorneys general, by the way, in other states to consider similar actions? Absolutely. Look, this is an innovative approach, both the way in which we marshaled state resources for a multi-agency investigation, thereby leaving no stone unturned and using several different bodies of law to attack this problem set, but also uh, by promulgating a rule under our Consumer Protection Authority rulemaking authority to ensure that there's compliance with state statute. I mean, these are tools that have not been used in this fight before. This is an innovative approach and really can serve as a model that could be exported to other states. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Thank you for your incredible leadership on, on this issue. If I if I can switch gears, I want to hit on another topic that you also have been very much involved with from the get go. Uh, but we talked about it on the program a little bit earlier this evening, the uh, Fifth Circuit's decision late last night regarding chemical abortions. Uh, you were part of an effort to block the FDA, FDA's unlawful ruling uh, that allowed for abortion pills to be uh, sent through the mail. So uh, your thoughts on the ruling, you've got to it's got to be very satisfying to see how this thing is developing. Well, certainly the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, the three judge panel reversed part of the trial court's order. We liked the trial court's order in its entirety. I mean, that's why we filed the amicus brief that brought these serious health concerns, uh, the danger these drugs posed to women and children. We brought that to the attention of the judge by filing our own amicus brief and were encouraged by the ruling of the trial court. Once it went up to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, you know, it's important to note that that panel, the three-judge panel, kept in place the ban on shipment of the dangerous drugs through the mail, which clearly violates federal and state law. So proud to get a win there. We're hopeful that the remainder of the trial court order will be reinstated. And there's still a lot of litigation to go. I mean, the, the litigation can go for rehearing on banc, in which case it'll go entire in front of the entire Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, or certainly the Department of Justice is asking uh, the United States Supreme Court to weigh in. And we're happy to take the fight there as well, because there is no end that, that we won't go to to protect women's health and, and the unborn. Yeah, well, I think it probably most certainly is going to be going to the Supreme Court, but we've got a, a great step in the right direction with that. You're probably aware the president's in Ireland right now, and at a, a White House press conference earlier today, uh, the White House Press Secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, gave the Biden administration's reaction to this ruling. I wanted to play this clip and get your reaction to what she had to say. We're going to continue to fight. Uh, We're going to promise to do that uh, for Americans across the country. And we believe we will prevail because we believe that the law is on our side. All right. She believes the law is on her side. What do you think? It, it, it defies rational thought. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the federal statute explicitly prohibits using the mail to ship abortion drugs. State law certainly does. And so that she's trying to undermine the rule of not not support the rule of law. And they're going to use unelected federal bureaucrats to do it. That flies in the face of our constitutional structure. So I am confident in the ultimate success of our cause and we'll keep fighting the good fight. Well, you know, there's also, and I brought this up to one of my earlier guests today, I'd like to get your reaction to it as well, but uh, there are literally some members of Congress who have called for the FDA to ignore this ruling altogether, and that just seems like an extremely dangerous precedent to go down when uh, you have one branch of government encouraging another branch to completely disregard the decisions of the judiciary branch. Uh, what are your thoughts when you hear these type of comments? Uh, it, it undermines the rule of law. It undermines our constitutional structure. It's saddening. It's saddening that our our, our, const- our Democratic Republic has reached this point in time. I mean, both sides of the aisle used to elevate the rules of the game above the players and the outcome. And it saddens me that Biden and his ilk have jettisoned that approach and are so determined to push this radical left-wing ideology that they're willing to do so at the expense of women's ch- women and children's health. Well, I think there's some, uh, I think it's in the ballpark of 19 states now that have uh, been involved in uh, particularly the argument about uh, disallowing the abortion uh, drug to be sent through the mail. Uh, Do you anticipate now that we're going to see growing numbers of states jumping on board 
uh, and understanding uh, that not only the mail issue, the sending through the mail, but also just the danger nature of the drugs as a whole. Absolutely. I mean, look, that was the entire purpose of the amicus brief that we individually filed in the Texas suit at the United States District Court level was to highlight the dangerous nature of these drugs and the deleterious health consequences that women face. I mean, you you know, the left will tell you that they're about protecting women, but then they push these dangerous drugs. It makes no sense. So we're going to continue to fight the good fight to protect women and children and especially the unborn. Yeah, you know, you bring up a, a, an excellent point there. They they claim to be so concerned about women's health, but this drug in particular, the the numbers of women who end up in the ER having taken this, and there's no medical uh, professional assisting. There's no, I mean, these, these women are on their own at home or wherever they may be taking a drug that was not adequately studied to begin with and has diverse consequences on them and, of course, many deaths and all sorts of other health issues. Uh, And yet, for political purposes, they keep claiming that uh, this is as innocent as Tylenol or something along those natures, and uh, it's just harmful. I'm sure you have probably had all sorts of people come forth. You mentioned uh, whistleblowers, but I, are you seeing a number of women come forward talking about the detri- detrimental effects of the drugs? Well, that's absolutely true. And again, if you read the amicus brief we filed, it really details, uh, it enumerates all those serious health consequences. Exactly like you said, if Biden has his way, he will use the FDA to isolate women to administer a dangerous drug in a dangerous procedure that's going to hurt the woman and kill a child. And we're not, we're not going to let that happen. So why do they want to do this? And I know our time's wrapping up here, but what is the motive behind any administration that would be pushing an untested drug upon women and young girls, really, for that matter, uh, knowing that this thing has not been tested properly? What is the motive, in your opinion, behind all of this? Well, it's, it's hard to ascertain. I mean, the, the best I can say is that they're blinded by hate, They're blinded by lies, and they don't care about the sanctity of life, either the life of the mother of the child. And they they hate us more than they love women and children. And that's frightening. It is frightening. Well, uh, listen, I just want to say again, thank you for your incredible leadership on this transgender procedure that uh, you have led the way in our entire nation today by putting a stop to that Every one of us to say, uh, every one of us, Pauls, to say thank you for your incredible leadership in that regard. And our hope that many other attorney generals will join you and many other states. And also when it comes to the abortion drug, uh, what uh, what a great example of leadership you've been. So uh, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on and thank you for your uh, continued prayers and support. Well, you've got it. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, friends, I tell you, we've had an incredible program with a lot of breaking news bringing your way, and that's the purpose is why we're here, to keep you informed as to what's going on in America from a Christian worldview perspective. So as always, it's our deep honor to have you and to bring you this information. We want to encourage you, never give up, shine brightly, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and keep, keep, keep moving on. Keep standing. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time right here. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.